0: Hey y'all, my name is Eric. I'm the lead pastor at Emanuel and Hookset. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast. Our goal is to be a blessing to everyone who listens as you continue on your journey of faith. It's also our hope that you'll be encouraged to find a church to belong to so you can plug into that congregation and bless others with the gifts and experiences that God has entrusted you with. If you're being encouraged or challenged by this teaching, would you consider giving us a five-star review? That review and rating moves us up the list so others might find us more easily so they too can benefit from this podcast. Well, I hope this podcast is a blessing to you and encourages you to get out there and be the blessing. God bless. This is our motto. It means a lot. Uh, we, we, we frequently bring this up. Bless God, this is what guides our church. The, the, the honor and the glory of God. We want to bring a smile to Jesus' face and not the smile that says, Oh, you big dummy. You know what I'm saying? Anybody, got a, anybody a parent or ever had teenage boys? Where you look at your teenage boy after he does something particularly spectacular? And you can't help but smile, but at the same time, you're kind of like, you're an idiot. You know, we don't want God to smile at us like that. We want to bring a genuine smile. We want to honor Him and give Him glory. And, and, and with that as our guiding light, our guiding principle, it helps us to determine what ministries to start, when to end ministries, what direction to go in. And we got to ask this question, does this bless God? So when we talk about march into the community... We ask that question, does this bless God? Will it bless God for us to march in to our community to show them that we love them? Absolutely, it blesses God. We're not sacrificing biblical principles. a matter of fact, we're embracing biblical principles. And as I mentioned last week, this is not just something that we should do. It's something that we need to do as a local body. Some of you don't know how to go online. I hope that you will, if you do know how. EmanuelHooksIt.com, right there on the front page, about a quarter of the way down, there's a button that says Service Projects. Hit it, get to that other page, pick a service project, and register for that project. Next week, we're going to have um, hard copy sign-up sheets. For those of you that are computer, well, I didn't want to say that. But since you said it, computer illiterate, some of y'all have trouble navigating computers or maybe you don't have one or a smartphone, you'll be able to go in the lobby on the on the left-hand side as you're leaving where it says Bible Life Circles. There'll be papers on that table and there'll be somebody there and you can sign up for one of those uh, service projects there. We want to know who's coming so we can make enough breakfast because we're meeting at 8 a.m. for breakfast and prayer. And then we're going to be deployed out into the community to be a blessing to our community. There is going to be a group here that's going to pray while you guys go out that God would open some doors and, and, and make an impression on our community that we love them. But also we're praying that will, God will give us opportunities to have gospel conversations with people. So for instance, at the Manchester Little League field, when they're cleaning up the brush and they're fixing the, the dugouts and they're doing that kind of work, the The hope is that there'll be someone from the community there seeing what we're doing and that you'll be able to strike up a conversation with them. Invite them to church. Share your story as it intersects with his story as you share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what we want to have happen. So march into the community. Bless God, bless others. Bless others is um, our ministry to the local body. I don't know what slide is next, so bless God, bless others. Our ministry to the local body, that's our Bible life circles. That is our Awana clubs. Um, that's where we learn to love one another well. That is our help a buddy ministry. Did you know we have a help a buddy ministry? There are people that have registered for that ministry where if you're struggling in your home, maybe, you, maybe, you're, maybe you're getting a little older and you're having a hard time keeping up with things and you just need someone to come in there once in a while to just help you around the house, maybe some simple hardware things or some simple plumbing things. Or, or there was a, a gentleman in our church where he just got so behind on his yard work, his wife had passed away, and, and he was struggling with some sicknesses, and, and he, was just, he, was, he just got so far behind, and we were able to go out there with a crew of seven or eight guys and ladies and just take care of that whole backyard, that property, and we loved him well. This goes on regularly in our church, by the way. It's just an awesome and amazing thing. We help people (laughs) chop wood, stack wood. I mean, it's just, it's the coolest thing to be a part of a church that has learned to love itself well. Being the blessing, I mentioned marching to the community. I should have waited for this one because this is being the blessing. Being the blessing is where we take everything that we're learning and we bring it out into the streets we invite people to church. We tell them about what God is doing in our lives. We share the gospel of Jesus Christ. I had the privilege of leading the Young Married Bible Life Circle today. My brother Randy has uh, gone back to school, so he's going to miss some Sundays here. Uh, hey, Randy, if you're watching this. Um, and I feel like he is, he is superior to me in leading that circle. He's so good at it. Uh, and we miss him, right, guys? But it was, it was a blessing To lead this circle, I'm writing a book called uh, Marriage for Real People, Uh, and so just kind of opened up with a starting chapter of that book of, of basically prioritizing our spouse and learning to minister to one another. And how does that work? That's bless others, but how does that work with be the blessing? This is what it means. You guys are married, and you work with married people or people that are couples in a relationship. You can take what you're hearing on Sunday morning and share it with the people that you work with. You should be doing that. You should be, oh, hey man, I had such an awesome Bible circle. What's that? Oh, it's where a group of us get together and talk about the Bible and how it intersects with our life and how it can help us. And the next thing you know, you go from there to do you know Jesus? See, you follow me? We, we, we want to bless God. We want to bless others, but we don't want to stop there uh, we want to get out of these four walls, and we want to be the blessing. Today, I want to talk about our church. I want to talk about our church. We had our annual meeting uh, a few weeks ago, and it was a good meeting. I appreciate everyone that came out. Um, our church, it's just the coolest to have people come in, and we had a pre-meeting where people came in and asked questions, and we were able to answer questions, and it was so civil and so godly that it's what every church meeting should be. We should have meetings where there's the display of the person of Christ in the meeting. You know what I'm saying? Too many churches have business meetings where it it looks more like the world or a town council meeting than it does a church meeting. Uh, But I want to thank God that that's not what our meeting, our meeting looked like a church meeting, like a God was present meeting. By the way, do you realize he's here? Do you realize Jesus is present with us this morning? And we want to we wanna honor him and worship him. This phrase, as he is in this world, this phrase means so much to me as a, as a pastor, and it means so much to this church, and ultimately to be as he is, to be as he is, is where the motto, bless God, bless others, be the blessing, comes from. To be as he is in this world means that we will be honoring God, first, most, and best. To be as he is in this world means that we will be loving others as we love ourselves. To be as he is in this world means that we will love the lost and have compassion on them, both materially and spiritually. There's people that knock projects like March into the community, and they say, how is that spiritual? Well, Jesus fed 5,000 men and women and children besides. That was material. He fed them real food. It wasn't spiritual food. It was bread and it was fish. And He fed all of them. Not just the ones that wanted to believe on Him, but all of them. And He had compassion on them. He also fed them spiritually by teaching them and sharing the Gospel. To be as He is, to be as He is, I want to ask the question, who are we, where are we going, and how will we get there? And this series, as he is, this series, I hope will encourage you and challenge you. It's a series where I believe God's going to reveal His heart for our church. It's a series that will show us where where we are and where He would like us to be. And I want to lay out some steps in this series of how, how we're going to arrive at our destination. Let's look to the Word of God. 1 John chapter 4, if you have your Bibles, turn there. Whoever confesses that Jesus, that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He is in God. Man, if you have come to Jesus as your Savior, do you realize that? That you are indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God? He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He is always with you. He is what empowers you to love others well. To be as He is in this world it is the power of the indwelling god in you that enables you to be as he is this is one of my favorite passages of scripture we have known and believed that the love that love god has for us god is love and he who abides in love abides in god and god in him love has been perfected among us in this that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is so are we in this world Love has been perfected among us that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. I grew up fearing the judgment of God. I grew up fearing the judgment seat of Christ. Even as a believer, I grew up in this this terror. And yet God says, God says that we can approach the throne of grace with confidence, with boldness, Knowing that we lived our lives well on earth, you follow? Folks, if you're afraid of the judgment seat of Christ, if you're sitting here and you're in terror of the judgment seat of Christ, it means this. It means this. You do not understand, one, you're standing, two, you are not living in love. Because if you were living in love, you would be able to have boldness in the day of judgment. That's what he says. We can have confidence. In the day of judgment, you don't have to finish your life wondering if at the end of your life you will meet Jesus and you, you, you wonder, will he say, well done, my good and faithful servant. You don't have to wonder if he's going to say that. You know, when I used to work a secular job, I was a solid surface fabricator and installer. I never had to wonder if my boss was pleased with my work. Do you know why? No, he didn't let me know. Sometimes he did because I knew that I did good work. Now I know that sounds cocky, and I was really cocky back then, but I was also really good. And I'm <laughs> just saying, um, I knew that when I left a house, that the customer that was going to come into that house was going to be amazed at the product that I had installed in their home. I knew that they were going to go look for the seam in the countertop, it's solid surface. So it was a hard seam. I knew they weren't going to find it. I knew that when I scribed up against a brick chimney and I was going in and out of those bricks, that they were going to go, "Wow, how did you do that?" And I was going to say, "Cause I'm me." That's where the cockiness comes from. But here's my point: if you're if you're a good employee and you're doing good work, you don't have to worry about you don't have to worry about your review, do you? Unless you have a lousy employer then you, you don't have to worry about your review. If you know that you're doing good work, you don't have to worry about it. This is basically what God is saying. Listen, if you love well, you don't have to worry and live in fear of the judgment seat. You can approach it with boldness, with confidence, because you have learned to love well. And you have accessed the power of the Holy One that is in you, the Holy Spirit of God. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. You want to love God better? Who wants to love God better? Raise your hand. I want to love God better. Is everybody raising their hands? I was looking down. You can put your hands down. If you want to love God better, learn how much God loves you. Bask. Immerse yourself in the love of God. It will inspire love in you. It will inspire love in you. How many of you are married? Anybody married here? Now, let me ask you a question. When your, when your spouse shows love to you, says kind things to you, how does that make you feel? Anybody? Anybody? How does it make you feel? Makes you feel good. Do you think it inspires you to might maybe love them a little more? Right? By the way, there's a, there's a tip. If you want your wife to love you a little more, be a little more loving to your wife. There's another tip. Wives, you want your husbands to love you more, be a little more loving to your husbands. We love him because he first loved us. We recognize his love for us. If someone says, I love God, but hates his brother, now we're getting nitty gritty. He's a liar. He is a liar. And there are times in our Christian lives where we fall down on the job, don't we? There's times in our lives where we have failed to love our brothers. He who does not love his brother whom he's seen, how can he love God whom he's not seen? And this is the commandment. Listen now, church, listen, listen now. It is not, it is not, it is not a suggestion. This is the commandment that we have from Him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Who are we? We want to be as He is in this world, but to be as He is in this world, can I share this with you? It has to start with being as He is in this, in this church. Now, I wonder how many of you are thinking, what kind of message is this? Is he about to beat us up? Anybody wondering that is he about to really lambaste us? He's going to lay into us. What is what's going to happen here? You should you should know me a little better than that, but I want to I want to share some things with you. Who are we? When when I sit down and I ask this question, I ask this question, who is Emmanuel? What is she like? What kind of church do we have? Is it a legalistic church? Is it a grace church without truth? Is it a church of permissibility? Is it, is it a church of, of, of cold formality? What, what are we? Who are we? And As I sat down and I thought about this, uh, what, I, what I came to, 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 to the conclusion that I came to is that we are a place of grace and truth. If we're not careful, if we're not careful, we become a place of all grace and no truth. And and a place of all grace and no truth is not a place of grace because grace absent of truth is license and it will fail you every time. But to be a place of grace and truth is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And Emmanuel, you are beautiful. You are beautiful, Emmanuel. When people that are lost come into this building, They do not feel condemned. Do you know why they don't feel condemned? Because Jesus is not condemning them. Why? Because in John chapter 3, we love verse 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And then He goes on, He says, I did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Folks, do you understand that? Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, neither should we. Now, where is the truth, though? The truth is, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. Those that are not sick don't need a physician, but those who are sick need one, and that is sick with sin. When Jesus came to bring grace, he came and brought truth with it so that we could see the grace that was available in him. And when I think of this church, oh, church, you're beautiful. You are beautiful. You're a place of grace and truth. You're a place where broken people can come and find healing and hope in Jesus Christ, not just to come and stay broken. Now, there's some churches that are like that. Come on in with a church of broken people, and there's no healing and there's no hope. It's just a church of broken people without healing and hope. That's a place of grace and no truth. Because see, the truth is what brings that healing. You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Oh, grace is there while we're on the way. Grace enables us to be what we aren't. Grace is beautiful. Truth is beautiful. We, we, we are a place of grace and truth. And I will say this. Ten years ago, we could not say this. We had a judgmental mindset. It was ingrained in us. People would come in And they would feel condemned as they walked through the door. Listen, I I want you to feel loved and comfortable right up until the preaching starts. I mean, I want you to feel like, oh, you belong and everybody loves you. And then when the preaching starts, I want you to still feel loved and cared for, but I also want you to be challenged and confronted and uncomfortable where you're sitting. Because, listen, we don't grow when we're comfortable, do we? We don't grow spiritually when we're comfortable. Discomfort has a way of breaking us out of our malaise. Some of you, some of you now, let's be honest, we're a place of grace and truth, but some of you still struggle. You still struggle with this judgmental mindset to this day. You see some people for what their struggles are. You see some people for what their struggles are instead of people of value and worth. You notice how they dress first and who they are second and you condemn without even realizing you're doing it, and your Facebook betrays you. Your Facebook betrays you. Or Instagram. Or TikTok. I refuse Snapchat. However, even though there are some, there's little pockets, there's a few of you, you still struggle with this. The vast majority of this church is beautiful. It's beautiful. And you're still broken in your condemnation. You're still broken, in your, broken in, your, in your judgmental attitudes. But I believe God is going to lift that from you as He's lifted it from the vast majority of this church. And it is beautiful. Because Jesus did not come to condemn the world. He came to save it. And when He left, He left us here to finish the job, to spread the truth of Jesus Christ. Who are we? We are a place of grace. As I started to think about this, I started asking some questions about our church. I wondered, what is the average involvement in a church in the U.S.? Because when you start talking about churches that love one another well, they they ought to be be involved, they ought to be engaged, right? Makes sense? Um, If I love Trish, that's my wife, if I love Trish, but I never want to spend time with her, probably we're having some problems. Would you agree? Like if if every time I get the chance, I'm going to do something else, there's probably something wrong. 30% is the average involvement in churches across the U.S., 30%. Um, in, this, in this study, they, they consider people to be highly involved in their churches. Now remember what God said, you got to love one another well. It's hard to love one another well if you're not involved. It's hard to know, love one another well if you don't know one another. They consider high involvement to be weekly attendance at worship and one bible study a month is high involvement 30% average involvement 42% for those churches that have the gospel 42% of the churches are highly engaged that's the average across the US so i thought where where my where my we be with this where do you think we are we're just average church I want to tell you something man you are beautiful you're beautiful the average involvement in our church is 60 percent of adults college age and up are engaged in bible life circles 60 percent of this church is engaged in relationship with one another When I started sharing that with my leadership team, they are like, oh wow, what's the average of the country? And I said, it's not that. I shared this with my pastoral prayer team. I I pray with four or five other guys every other Wednesday, and and I was kind of excited about what God is doing here, and and I said, 60% of our church is engaged in a Bible life circle. That's what we call our small groups. and They were blown away, blown away. Um, 55% of adults in our church are engaged in some ministry of some type. Can we do better? Can we do better? Listen, that's still better than the national average of people that are in a Bible study, much less serving and volunteering in their church. That's a tremendous average. 55% of adults in our church are engaged in ministry of some kind. So this is at 75% of our adults, when you take circles and ministry teams, are engaged in our church in some way, shape, or form. That is insane. It's radical love. It can be better, but it's amazing. 55% of our families in our church contributed financially in some way over the last year. 55%. I believe the average is 10% across the country. Now, you look at 55% and maybe some of you are going, I'm a glass half empty kind of guy. I look at this as a glass half full. This is an amazing percentage. Can it be better? Sure it can be better. If 75% of us are engaged, then 75% of us can begin to give regularly in some way, shape, or form. I want to challenge you to think about that today. But this is an amazing percentage thing. It's just astounding. Somebody put it on the screen. It's astounding to have a church that has 75% engagement, 60% of people in a Bible life circle, 55% of families giving. It's astounding. Man, there's pastors that would stick a knife in my heart and say, I'll take over. Let me take over. Get out of the way. I'll take this church. Some of you And I'm bringing this to you because some of y'all, you don't know how good you have it. You don't know how amazing this church is that God is raising up here. It's a beautiful, beautiful church full of grace and truth and engagement of the congregation. And it's only getting better from here. It's astounding. It's measurable and it's meaningful. And I want to take a pause on this here because I know, I know that there are some, there are some here that for serious reasons you cannot engage in an active ministry or join a Bible life circle for health issues or for some other very real reasons. That does not mean you're not meaningful because you're not measured. You understand what I'm saying? So when I say there's 75%, that's a measurable. But then there's a percentage of people who although they are not involved in a ministry and they are not involved in a Bible Life circle, listen now, they are still engaged in this church because they are praying for her. They are inviting people out to come. They are sharing their faith. I can't measure that, but I know they're there because I talk to them regularly and I know some of the people I speak with they can't come out. They can't get involved in a ministry. Their health is not good. They don't drive at night. But I'll tell you what, they are engaged and they are involved. And I would bet that 75% creeps up to 80% when you consider people that although they're not measured, they are meaningful. So those of you that are the 75%, shame on you! If you're looking down at the 25% and saying, well, where are they? And the 55% that are giving, shame on you! that are looking down at the 45% that are not giving. That is between them and God, and let me challenge them. When we give, we open our hands and we say, Lord, I have a gift for you. Listen, when you go to a birthday party, you don't look at what everybody else is giving the kid, do you? You, you give them the gift. Some of y'all are going, no, I look. <laughs> Listen, if I'm going to get a gift for somebody and I'm looking at what everybody else is giving, this is why I'm looking. In my house, this year, Chloe won Christmas. Well, I don't know. It's a close second between Trish and Chloe. It's the first year Chloe actually bought me something for Christmas that she paid for with money that I didn't give her. (laughs) Yeah, everybody give Chloe a hand. (laughs) I don't even know what you call it. It's a Yeti thing. You put your can in it and you screw the top on it. It It keeps my seltzer water cold. And I just love this thing. I just, I adore it. But then Trish, she bought me season passes to Pat's Peak for skiing, which makes winter tolerable. And then I get to go with Nate, and we get to bond over skiing and snowboarding. And my shoulders are still killing me from wiping out on those jumps. And um, I forgot I was almost 50. I just see it, and I'm like, I can do this, I can do this. And then I thought I could do it. It turns out that little train that could, it's a lie, kids. It's a lie. <laughs> Anyways, that's, I digress. Chloe when Christmas. This is what's happening. I'm not saying that we're a competitive house or anything, but when you look at other people's gifts that they're giving, you're not looking at it to limit the gift that you give. You're looking at it because, dude, I want to beat mom for Christmas. I want to win Christmas. I want to give the best gift. So 55%, if you're looking at other people's giving, look at it the right way, Win. That's not in the Bible. I'm just kind of saying that. Just, that's not in the Bible. That's actually pride. It's actually against the Bible. But so is looking at other people's giving to determine how much you should give. That's wrong too, isn't it? See, when we give, it should be just for the joy of giving. Lord, I love you. I love you. I want to bless you. You gave everything to me. I want to give some back to you. That's how we should give. The Bible says God loves a hilarious giver. Cheerful. It's, it, listen, the root word for cheerful is hilarity. It's hilarious. When we take the offering, man, there ought to be grins on our faces. If you guys are automating the important and you're saying, I'm going I'm to do bill pay because I don't want to miss an offering. When you set that up, you should have a big grin on your face and every week that you know that it's deducted from your account, you should be joyful. Joyful. You shouldn't be looking at everybody else. Listen, just because people can't be measured doesn't mean that they're not meaningful. Doesn't mean they're not meaningful. So today, today really, today is a day to celebrate. It's a day to celebrate, to take a moment, to take a moment before we, we really get down and, and, and get into the nitty gritty of, of, of what else can we do and where can we go and where are we going. You just take a moment and just recognize what God has done. At Emmanuel. Can we just take a moment and give God glory? Let's just give God praise for what He has done. Give God praise for what He is doing. It amazes me. It amazes me what God is doing. It amazes me. He could do it with a rock. He could do it with this cup of coffee sitting up here. No coffee in the sanctuary. I'm taking that rule away. You want to bring coffee in a sanctuary, bring it in. I don't care anymore. But if you spill it, you've got to clean it up. That's the caveat. Unless you're in young marriage and then just let it spill. We had some great incidents today. Um, celebrate. We, look what happened today. Look what, look what happened today. We baptized three people. And I know some of you guys, some of you guys say they were just kids. Well, maybe you don't have kids. Because if you had kids, when we baptized kids, I still get emotional thinking of when I baptized Kirsten. I was going through my Google photos for some reason this week, and I saw a video of me baptizing my Danny girl. She, you were so little. I went and baptized her, and her feet come up. (laughs) It was the best thing. We baptize children, but we don't just baptize children because the parents want them to be part of the family of God. We only baptize children who can profess with sincerity a faith in Jesus and with understanding of what they've done. We won't baptize a child that does not understand salvation, that hasn't claimed Christ, and cannot understand baptism. But when they're old enough to understand baptism, and they're old enough to have been saved by Jesus Christ by placing their faith in Him, and they want to be baptized, if their parents are for it, we are for it. And it is such an amazing, amazing thing. Jen, did you tear up a little bit today? Yeah, or how can you not? Heather, come on. little Mac, little Lamborghini. And then Carla, emailing me this week, and having this conversation through email about her, her, the state of her faith, and where she's been, and she's moving to Florida next week, and we're never going to see her until we get to heaven, maybe. But she said, she said, Pastor, I just, I know that I need to do this. I was watching, particularly the sermon that she was watching was a sermon that I preached, I think you said, Grow Up, was the sermon. I went back and looked at it, and I'm like, oh, um, thank you for listening she was watching the sermons and she watched this sermon called Grow Up and it was from uh, uh, 2 Corinthians and she realized, man, there's something I haven't done yet. I need to follow the Lord in baptism and I want to do this before I leave. Man, that's amazing. That's amazing. Only God can do these works in people's hearts. It's an amazing thing. We should be celebrating and we should be loving. Well, when we went through this whole passage, having this kind of engagement in our church with Bible Life Circles, with with our ministries, with the Help of Buddy ministry. I still remember going over um, Lee Gregoire's house. Did he have pneumonia? Bronchitis? The flu. Was it last year or the year before? He was sick as a dog. He couldn't split his wood. He couldn't chop his wood. He was a mess, and he was trying to come out the door, and we're like, dude, keep it in the house. We don't want what you got. Man, it, we had a crew of people there. We had a log splitter. We had cha- somebody let me use a chainsaw. It was awesome. We had a blast. I taught Nate, and I think Bruce Chamberlain taught Nate how to use the log splitter. So there's, I, Listen, when we love others well, we also lead others well. I didn't just show up at Lee's House by myself. I took my boy with me to show my boy the importance of loving others well. When I went over to Ray's house to help him with the lawn and everything, I took my boy with me to show him how to love others well. It's an opportunity that we have. And it's an opportunity that we're taking. Church, you are learning to love others. Well, and I love it. This kind of engagement means that things are happening. We have our food pantry. And I know that there was a time where Jen was starving for help, and I went down there Monday, and it's like, you know, like three or four or five different people there. People have stepped up to the plate to help on Sunday afternoons with the bread that we get. It's just when the church realized, when people realized that this was a need, the church rose up. Can you celebrate what God is doing with and to and for you? So often we look at the dark side of things. So often we look in the mirror and all we see is what's wrong. So often we come to church and all we see is what's wrong. And we forget what is so right. I have a woman that started to come into our church a little while ago. And she said that she could not sing worship for five years. And that after attending our church for a little while, she has begun to sing again. She's begun to sing again. How are you not breaking down right now? Dude, I'm trying to stop saying, dude. It's amazing. We gave out over $6,000 this year, I think. Uh, I don't have the exact figure in Good Samaritan. We, we we helped people to the tune of about six thousand dollars this year. Just to help people. Not alone. If you want to give it back, great. If you don't, God bless you. Folks, it's amazing what is going on in our church. And we are now learning through our initiative a few years ago to love our community well. Where we had our Be Blessed Sunday. And we went out into the community and showed them love. And this year, March into the Community, we're learning not only to love one another well, but we're learning to take this love and move it out from this church. And remember this love is a verb, love is action. In this same letter that John wrote, he talked about loving in deeds, not just in words. Loving in deeds. This church does that. She does that through ministry. She does that through the various things that I mentioned, but she also does that through this. This church has learned to have tough conversations. This church has learned to communicate and to confront and to love the person being confronted. This is routinely happening at Emmanuel. A few weeks ago, I was sharing we did a series of two on forgiveness. The the forgiveness God has for us, Abba, in our shame, and the forgiveness that we should have up for others, Abba, in others' shame. Remember that. And and as I was as I was teaching that, God was convicting me, convicting me that I had some bitterness growing up in my heart, that I knew someone had ought against me, and I was beginning to get angry about it, and I was I was beginning to get this bad spirit and. And the Lord led me to call the person after I preached it to you. I figured I should probably do it. It was difficult. I believe God is a God of miracles. And I have seen him do miracles in relationships that you would not believe. And I had lost hope for this relationship with these people. And I was hurting. They responded to the call. We met together. They confronted me. I confronted them. Can I tell you, when you have biblical confrontation, the goal of confrontation is restoration, and the motivation for confrontation is love when it's done right. And can I give you a hallelujah moment? Man, we had a Holy Ghost breakdown in my office where we both broke down in tears and we forgave one another and we hugged one another, and we loved one another, and God took something that had died over the last year and brought it to life. And this is happening routinely in our church because we have learned the value of relationships is worth the discomfort of confrontation. That's Bible, folks. That's Bible. We need to learn how to communicate well, and I would say this, we are. Love is messy, church is messy. Love covers a multitude of sins. First Peter chapter 4 says this, but the end of all things is at hand. Therefore be serious and watchful in your prayers and above all things have a fervent love for one another. A fervent and energized love. A, a fiery, passionate love for one another. And I'm seeing it. I'm seeing it in our church. I'm seeing it in our leadership. I'm seeing it when people are struggling. Sometimes they take a little too long to confront. But can I tell you? They're still doing it. Sometimes they wait too long, but they're still doing it. Ten years ago, we would have just taken a shovel. And just bury it, just bury it, and keep burying it, and keep burying it, and keep pretending that everything's okay. When you pretend that everything's okay for a long time, everything becomes not okay in a very explosive and destructive way. I thank God for what he's doing in our church. Peter finishes this verse with this phrase, love covers a multitude of sins. Love well, church. Love well. You are, but we can always do better. I feel like Bill Belichick. You just won the Super Bowl. Well, you know, they played a pretty good game, but uh, we lost a few yards on this one run in this one series in the whole game, and hopefully next year we'll do better. I mean, I kind of feel like that. Church, what God is doing here is amazing. It's amazing. I want you to see it. I want you to believe it. I want you to understand this. Here's a quote. Sometimes we get so caught up in seeing what's wrong and wanting something perfect. This is a quote. I can't remember who had it, but I can't attribute it to myself because I didn't write it. The fact is Jesus dwells in the church that actually exists, not in the ideal church that exists in my mind, You follow? The actual church is made up of sinful people served by a sinful pastor. The actual church is where Jesus lives, the church that Jesus is building, the church that Jesus died for. We have no reason to believe that Jesus cares about our ideal church at all. Here's the reality. On this side of the grave, we're all going to struggle with sin. There's always going to be a mess at church if the church is growing, there's always going to be a mess. That's where grace and truth come in. Grace and truth come into play when we talk about this idea of confrontation. When we love one another well enough to confront one another. We do it with an abundance of grace, but also the truth. I just, this week as I was preparing this message, I was so overwhelmed with what God is doing in our church, and in some cases so upset that some of you still don't get the beauty of this church. <clears throat> Where do we go from here? Have we arrived? Is that what I'm saying? Well, no, I, I ascribe to Bill Belichick's style of coaching We've not arrived. I have not arrived. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. If you're in your Bible app, you should have this, and you can underline and highlight it. It's Matthew 16, 13 through 26. <clears throat> he said to them, But, but who, do you, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. I'm not going to get into a theological debate with you on what rock Jesus is referring to. Many people believe he was referring to himself on this rock. I'll build my church. Some churches believe he was talking about Peter. The word Peter means pebbles, so I'm not, I'm not going to argue with you. But I know this, Jesus is the rock. I'll leave it there. And I will give to you, the church, the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Church, by the way, we have that authority and that power. And he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples. So from the time that they finally realized he's the Christ, the son of the living God, he began to share with them, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and I'm going to suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and I'm going to be killed and raised the third day. He's telling them before it happens. And Peter took him aside, rebuked him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. I shared this in our Bible Life Circle this morning, and he turned to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. You're uh, you're not mindful for the things of God, but the things of man. One of the sharpest rebukes Jesus ever gave his church, Listen, I mentioned it this morning in the circle. The occasion demanded the sharp rebuke. He was trying to keep Jesus from saving the world, guys. All right? Then Jesus said to his disciples, and this is where I want to take us to be as he is in this world, for us to to continue to progress, to be as he is in this world. We should never be satisfied. We should always be content. We are not we have not arrived yet. This is what he said to his disciples. If anyone who desires to come after me, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This is where we're going. Where are we going? Where are we going? Well, if we want to be as he is, we need to take up our cross and follow him. What profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? Church, there is nothing as valuable in your life as Jesus. Nothing and no one. In our circle this morning, I challenged the young marriages there to prioritize their spouses. but I have to make sure I add this caveat, and I'm glad you're all still here. Your spouse always comes after Jesus. Always comes after Jesus. To be as he is in this world means that we give up our life for his because he gave up his life for mine. To be as he is in this world means that we live as he is in this world. It means we love like Jesus, we act like Jesus, we care about like Jesus. Why? Because his life is being lived out through ours. We have given up the right of our life to him. That's what we've done. Ultimately, where we are going has more to do with whom we are becoming. Where we are going as a church, some churches like to do their big vision Sundays, and we're gonna build this building and we're gonna start this ministry and we're gonna do this and we're gonna we're gonna do that and we're gonna and this is my vision. I just have to tell you, I, I would rather build people than ministries and buildings. The vision is to become as he is in this world to raise up a generation of of people who are giving up their lives and receiving the greatest life of all, the life of Jesus in them. To be as He is means we must dive deeper into His Word with His person. To be as He is in this world means that, that, that we must be transformed from within, not just put on a superficial mask of, I'm in church today. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Life is falling apart. I'm happy. I have my mask. Transformation from the inside out. From the inside out. Where the presence of God is real in your life. Where you're so so aware of his presence daily. That it impacts you. Oh. Church, I see it. I see a church where the membership is transformed from within by the Word of God and the person of God. We must challenge the inner voices and the outer voices that lie to us, that keep us from acting in love, and we must break down the walls of self-preservation and realize that it's only when we give our lives away that we truly begin to live, to be as He is in this world. Hey, all Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to know more, please go to our website, emmanuelhooksit.com, where you'll find helpful links and resources and where you can contact us directly. That web address again is emmanuelhooksit.com. Bless God, get out there, and be the blessing.